I'm going to continue on this subject here. I think I'll start over in Ephesians chapter 4. We sing this song, I'm yours. Say that again, I'm yours. So this morning we're going to talk a bit about the I. I am yours. It's quite the miracle that happens at salvation. And and I'm feeling, during the conference, I, I felt like I was drawing a line in the sand. And it was almost like, I was trying to describe that to myself. Like, what does that mean? And and I felt I feel like there's a mixture of beliefs amongst groups where everyone says, "Oh yeah, I'm like that. That's what I mean," you know. And and uh, if I were out evangelizing and I had a, a Mormon guy come alongside of me, and we were both talking to a, an unsaved person. And if I said to that unsaved person, you need Jesus. And the Mormon guy said, yes, you need Jesus. See, we're talking about a different Jesus, me and the Mormon guy. We have the same language, but we're talking about different things. You know, amen? You know, you need the Holy Spirit. If you ever argued with a, an elder Mormon, one of those young guys, you'll find out that their lingo is designed uh, to be just like yours. And it's the way they bring people into their church and they pretend to be Christians. You know, we're Christians too. We're just a different sect of Christianity. No, you're not a different sect. You're a, you're a different religion, a different Christ. Same names, same language, different, completely different. One will get you to heaven, one will send you to hell. And so I feel that as we move into a a ministry of the impossible where we have a place a mama could bring a broken child to be healed, uh, where uh, we take honestly and truthfully, we hold on to the word where Jesus said, these things that I do, you will do also. And we don't lower that and lower that and say, yeah, I can do that too. But yet, when we bring a broken child, there's a very slim chance, if any, that that broken child will be healed. When I say broken, I mean cerebral palsy, uh, broken child. That's broken, and the doctor has told the parents, your child's broken, and uh, you're going to have to live your life helping the child. It'll never, the child will never grow up and be a mom or a dad, will never grow up with an education or have a job. There's no place in the world that mama has to go. No place. Otherwise, she would have gone there. There's no place. And what a shame. Think about the power of religion to take generation after generation after generation and deceive humanity, Christians, believers, into thinking you're on the right track. You've done good. Generation after generation after generation, people live and die in church, never achieving that place where Jesus simply said, the things that I do, you shall do also. Everyone will quote it, say amen to it. But when they bring a broken kid 
no one can do anything about it. Praise God for a place that says that's not acceptable. It is quite, how do you say, exposing when you hold on to that verse and say yes and amen to that verse. That is truth. It exposes in you your failures and your lack of getting there. (laughs) I'm not there yet. It's exposing when you put that standard on your life and don't just leave it to the apostles and the prophets. And you say, as a believer, each of us should be at that place to where they want Jesus, they see Jesus, they hear Jesus, and they experience the love of Jesus, which includes all the power of God. So that's kind of the quest that we've been put on at the prayer center. Not to belittle any other group because they're doing what they want to do. But that's our, our quest, that's our mission, our assignment by God, to go into God far enough to where those little babies will be healed. How, many, how often? Sorry, I've got to hear Gary say it. <laughs> First time, every time, no exceptions. So man has given up on that in the modern church. And so to replace that, we have come up with everything possible to try to gather as many people in the name of God. And praise God for anyone who gets born again. Because that's still a good work, and the most important work is getting people saved. But because we're lacking in the real Jesus being available to the people, we have to devise ways to try to get you into heaven. The first way is to say, if you don't get saved, you're going to hell. Burning hot, torturing, worms eating you, screaming, the gnashing of teeth. That's your teeth gnashing. Hell. So you better get saved. So that's worked for quite a while. But with humanism stepping in and religion starting to take a rise in the world, Christianity. No, very few people are afraid of hell anymore. I go, yeah, we'll just go party there. I'll be my friends. They, 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 they've given up on the fear. It's like a teenager. A teenager, you can, they'll listen to you as long as they're afraid of you. But the moment they quit fearing you, not in a, not in a bad way, but the moment they quit fearing you, they're going to do what they want to do whether you like it or not. What's well, much like the world? We've lost our ability to really use hell as the incentive for you to get born again. We need to start bringing them Jesus and his love. Then you don't need to advertise. You don't need to design your church to be comforting to people. You can design your church to be strong and, and, and truthful because you have something they want, the real Jesus. It's gotten so bad that the world, when, when there was social injustice being done in America, the world looked to the church and said, you should be standing up for the minorities and the broken and the weak. They, the church has been segmented now in our culture to be the people who stand up for the, the wounded and the broken. There's only one message of the church. You need Jesus. You need to get born again. 
Yeah, we reach out to the broken, but the reason we reach out to the broken is because the strong don't want anything to do with us. The message of you need love doesn't work for someone who feels secure. The message of you need God to bless you doesn't work for someone who's already rich. If they're not afraid of hell, you don't have a real strong message to someone who is strong and independent in this world. But there is a message of love which will overwhelm any person, no matter how strong they think they are. So I want to talk about I am yours. The word I can get frustrating uh, when you start to really dig down. Who am I? Where am I? I hear Gary say it sometimes. I loved it when he started saying it because I was like, yeah, that's my question. <laughs> like, where am I in this picture? How does that work? Not I, but Christ in me. See, when God breathed into Adam the life of God, that's the breath that you came from. Your existence came from that breath. The fact that you were able to come into existence, we know from Pastor Dave's teaching on the law of Genesis, that God did not make you. He did not specifically say, I am making you this time, this way, this year, this nationality, this country, this generation. God did not pick you. There's no little babies in heaven being created in heaven. That you came into existence by the will of your parents. Think about that. Me and Chrissy have the power. We created two creatures that are going to live for eternity. We brought them into existence. Not because we had magical power, but because God breathed into Adam and gave him the power of a seed to reproduce. But we have two little creatures now that are going to live for eternity. You can't extinguish them. You can't get rid of them. You cannot stop them for the rest of eternity. Those two little creatures, we named them Harrison and Ava, but God will give them a new name. Well, they were born by the nature of, by the, with the nature of sin and darkness. That's the only way they could be born, because from the seed Adam, that's all we had to offer. But now that they're born again, they belong to God. And see, I don't tell Harrison this. Not probably. I'll probably wait till he's forty. But I don't tell him that I'm no longer legally his father. Technically, legally, I'm his brother, because we have the same father, God. He was born again. Now he's born of God. I'm not legally in the realm of eternity his father anymore. I'm his brother. We have the same father. And if you're not careful, you'll skip past what I just said and think, oh yeah, we're born again. What's been anchoring me, slowing me down, stopping me for the last number of years has been that comment. I've been born again. That's so much more than now I go to church. (laughs) It's so much more than now I go to heaven. Practically, I'm talking about. Practically, that's so much more than now you're going to heaven. Something amazing started with your salvation. And it finishes in the end with you being in a whole different species. You started as a species of darkness, born of darkness. All of you was dark and, and death, dead. 
people who are born again, they actually taste life for the first time. Yes, they exist, but they're still dead because their nature is dead and dark. But when you were born again and asked Jesus into your heart, praise God, we received the new nature. What a miracle of messages the born again trail is to be able to, how the Holy Spirit was to be able to come through mountains and mountains of religion and thinking, natural thinking in the church, to be able to birth that message that says, you're born again. I wasn't here in Tulsa when Pastor Day did that conference. I had it on uh, um, cassette tape. But they say when he walked out, they said, what are you going to preach on? What amazing message are you going to preach on this conference? Oh, about being born again. <laughs> sure, sure. We got, see, that, that's, that's the religion in us saying, yeah, we got that. I moved on from that. I mean, I got that down. I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. You know, sing the old songs. Glory to God. So when Pastor Dave did 20 years of teaching that, and how long did it take for us just to really get a glimpse of that? Well, it's because there's so much religion on that. The devil piled on. Think about the mastery of being able to deceive generation after generation, thinking they've got it when they have no idea what they got. All to direct them down a different path of serving God in the name of God that will get them to heaven, but will never get them to revival. They'll never, ever be able to see the truth of the things that I do, you shall do also. Generation after generation after generation, believing that they're on the right track, living and dying, never seeing that. Part of the camouflage is, well, that's for someone else to do. That's for the apostle, the prophet, the pastor. That's for them to do. But that's not what he said. The believers are the ones who are to be raising the dead, casting out demons, seeing the sick healed, not just the preachers. There's an old cartoon of a pastor at one of those old stone churches, you know, the old-time churches that have been around forever, and he's, he's got a chisel out there. and he's, You know, they have on there sometimes the name of the church chiseled into the stone, and then he was chiseling his name, Pastor Alan Taylor, and said job security, you know. <laughs> you know, because a lot of times those churches they switch out the pastors every couple of years. And so he was mar- put it in stone, so if they're going to get rid of me, they're going to have to rebuild this part of the building. <laughs> well, a lot, of, a lot of ministers now in the name of Christ take that place in your life. You need me to prophesy to you. You need me to, to activate the calling in you. You need to come to my service. How many would like to be blessed abundantly? You need to plant your seed. You need to give. And we believe in giving and being a faithful steward. But why is there always a preacher in the middle between you and God for your calling? Now, I'm not saying anything to you that you don't already know here. But there's many people who do not, do not know what I'm saying. They hear our message and say, yeah, that's great. I know that. Yeah, we're just like that church. I had all these people. Well, you know, 
I found this guy online. He's just like Pastor Dave, except he has this. He's just like Pastor Dave. And it wouldn't matter to me if he did have it, because I don't go by where something good is, or something. I don't run by where something bad is. I go where God tells me to be, and that doesn't matter where that is. I was in a place where I didn't like to be, (laughs) and I wanted to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma for years and years and years, and God would not let me move to Tulsa. Because he wanted me to grow up. So we don't move by opportunity anyway. Or frustration. But I've had so many people along the years say, Yeah, that message you guys have there is so good. But I found someone who preaches exactly the same. But they let you do this. They let you go and they have you go do this and that. And talking about get out there and pray and do things and. And when you listen to the preacher, it doesn't sound at all like Pastor Dave. He talks about tongues. He talks about miracles, about Jesus, similar. But it's not the same message. Part of the reason I felt to draw a line in the sand is to say, this is our message of truth that we believe will take us to the place to where every believer can say, what Jesus did, I can do. What God did through Jesus, he can do through me. And to cause the ones who are tagging along, saying, yeah, I'm like these guys, but let me bring you to a better place. You know that message that Gary taught? It was so good. Oh, amen. Gary's such a good teacher. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But let me, let me tell you something. I, I know, I know a, a better way. I know an easier way. And the ability to snatch people, take them off course. The reasoning to snatch people and take them off course to to feed your own ego is really embarrassing. So I am yours. What are we saying when we say I'm yours? I'm going to start over in Ephesians chapter 4. I believe that there is a a widening coming between the message that we preach and the message that is similar but not the same. And there'll be many people who you thought were with us, you'll discover they really weren't ever with us. I don't say that in arrogance, as in us is more important than anyone else. I'm saying that in protection that you're not doing something wrong when you start to be attacked because you're not giving them the right to walk alongside of you. If I had a Mormon man standing here and I was witnessing to a a young person and and I said, you need Jesus? And they said, you need Jesus? I would be clear to that young person. I would have to be clear to that young person. We're not the same. I'm not like him. My message, my Jesus, my Holy Spirit is not the same as what he is saying. I'd have to define the difference so that young person would know it. Otherwise, he may say, well, you know, I I listen to Alan and I go to his church and Gary will talk about fasting. And they'll talk about laying your life down. I go to this other guy's Jesus. Hey, we get fellowship and family and, and see... His Jesus isn't going to get them to heaven. His Jesus is going to send them to hell. So I'd be clear. 
I'd be forced to be clear to protect this young person, to define the difference between my Jesus and this other person's, Mormon person's Jesus. Out of protection, not out of being elite or better, but out of being truthful. Does that make sense? Well, the same things happen to me now when it comes to revival, when it comes to walking as Jesus walked, is I find myself being protective of the integrity of what we mean when we say revival. Because there's a whole group of people that look just like us, teach a lot like us, very similar. Their version of revival will never get them to where the things that I do, you shall do also. And God bless them. They're going to do a good work on this earth, and God's going to use them. But the path that we're going on, you have to have it in you, by God in you, a determination in you that I am yours. Otherwise, the devil will beat you off this path like he has done for generation after generation after generation. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now I want you to see that you have a comparison here between the old man and the new man. Now we know he's not talking about the old in nature. Because how many know you don't have two natures at one time? You either have one or the other. You either got the nature of God and you're going to heaven, or you got the nature of sin and you're going to hell. There's no in-between. There's no, you know, talk about no gray in your gospel. You don't have, you have one or the other. So he, he's not competing or comparing the old nature and the new nature. Because if he was, it would not be, in the same room at the same time. The old nature and the new nature do not exist in the same place at the same time. You had an old nature of sin, but that was quickened and became a new nature of life in an instant, in a moment. They never existed in the same place. But he's telling us to put off the old man. You don't put it off unless you have it on. So the old man here is not talking about the old nature. He may be, you may be able to make an, an argument that he's talking about the effects of the old nature on the old man. That's truthful. But where is that old man? Who is that old man? It's not me. I'm not that old. One of you got that one. Yeah. And he put on the new man. What does it mean to put on the new man? Many will preach. In the next season, you're going to have to put up with me being very nitpicky, they might say. And I'm not trying to be petty. I'm trying to be clear. Some would say, well, yeah, we put on the new man and put off the old man. They say we are, I'm identifying with my inner man, my spiritual man. I just choose today to identify with my inner man. I'm putting him on and I'm putting off the old man. And so they go through the day and they say, yeah, I just, I just have to choose to walk in the inner man, walk in the spirit. 
And then God can do all things through Christ. Maybe you've heard that before. I heard that in my early years. You're full. You're complete. You have it all now. You have the authority of the word, the authority of Jesus' name. Go and pray for the sick. And off we went, marching out into the streets, into people's homes, interrupting their days, looking for anyone who was broken physically, because then we knew they needed something. We couldn't stand on the integrity of the message itself, because we had to find someone who needed something. The poor, the broken, the damaged, the physically broken, they're the target, because they need something. The strong, the capable, they don't fall for the message too easily. Because you're not preaching the message of love. You're preaching the message of hope into a broken person. Wouldn't you like for God to bless you, help you with your finances? Wouldn't you like God to touch you, heal you? And many of us ran off thinking we were already fully equipped, praying for the sick, preaching the gospel. And then we ran into situations where standing in authority didn't work. How many know what I'm talking about? Well, then, you know, well, the reason is you didn't stand in authority the right way. Authority is bold and strong, loud, powerful. You talk to that sickness and tell it to go in Jesus' name. You don't be nice to devils. My point is I don't care how you do it. As long as it gets done. You can be loud. You can be quiet. You can be sweet. You can be sour. I don't care. As long as that little broken kid gets healed. But if he doesn't get healed. The problem is not him. The problem is not that person you're praying for. And technically you're not not the problem. The problem is that you've settled for something. A religion that says it's okay for you to leave that person where they are. The first thing that happens when you run into someone that you can't get healed or rescued is you need to go find out how can I make that happen. I know the problem is not Jesus. How can I make that happen? If you don't go on that path, you will find a religion somewhere that allows you Gary said to listen to one of Dave's messages on the, it's on the website. And I listened to it. And one of the comments he made, Dave made was, yeah, if you're happy with an acceptable lifestyle, you'll find an acceptable preacher. <laughs> Why would you go for a preacher that's telling you to have the excellence <laughs> when you just want acceptable? You'll find an acceptable preacher to tell you that. And it's true. God finds a man who only will give acceptable in his life, and he's a preacher, and he'll prove that that man is only acceptable. He'll never give more. God didn't assign him to be an acceptable preacher. He chose to be an acceptable preacher. And God said, well, that's all you're going to give me. I got a group of people who want to live acceptable. I'm going to make you their pastor so you can get them to heaven, because that's acceptable. And God will bless them and help them, encourage them. But in you, he found something where you're willing to go all the way, no matter what the cost. The song, I'm yours. Who am I now? Who am I? 
how, how does this work? He found me in a species of darkness. I'll use the term worm because the word uses the term worm when it comes to comparing ourselves to God in the Old Covenant. I'm a worm. He found you as a worm. And then he said to you, I'm going to make you my child, birth you. Well, you're already there. You are already there. But yet he birthed you. (laughs) What does that mean? I thought I was there. Does he erase you and then restart with you? Does he take the worm and say, I want to make you an eagle and then take the name Rachel? Say, Rachel, thank you. How do you spell that R? Is there an E in there or an A? What is it? Okay, great. And then he... uh, like a coffee cup at Starbucks, he finds an eagle egg and writes the name Rachel correctly. Except at Starbucks, they never spell it right. He makes sure he spells it right, and then he takes you, the worm, and goes, okay, thank you, squish. Now you're, you no longer exist. And I just started with a new, your name in a different creature. That's the miracle of salvation. He found a way to take you from one species And in the end, you'll be a completely different species. A child of God instead of a child of Adam. But in the meantime, he had to leave with you the outward body. The outward body, the old man. The outward body is so much more than your fingers and toes. It's the mind, the desires, the emotions of the outward man. See, when you get to heaven, you have a mind, you have emotions, you have desires. So it's not exclusively the soul, what we would call mind, will, and emotions. It's not exclusively in the outward man. It's connected to your inward man, too. How many know that you have, when you're in heaven, you're going to have thoughts? You're going to think. You're not mindless in heaven. How many know when you get to heaven, you have emotions? Joy, love, only good emotions. So no anger, no jealousy. A little girl gets saved and, and she's still broken. See, you get a little girl. I'll use this as an example. We had a little girl at the Bible college one time. And uh, she's very attractive. And I remember during the first week she came and we had a handbook of rules of how to, how to, how to be a preacher. Because that's why they came to Bible college. How to be a man and woman of God, and part of it was a dress code. And the only reason you have a, a handbook is because someone, someone did something stupid, and you realize you have to write it down so that the next stupid person doesn't think they can get away with it. Right. Well, dress appropriately. You know, and there's a reason why in every handbook they, they have to clarify what appropriately means. Well, we didn't have that in our handbook, and so this little girl showed up, and her blouse was a little low, and... And during worship, all the young preacher boys would be staring at her with their hands lifted up like, yay. And I remember we had to talk to her. I had her in the office with, I think, Christy or one of the secretaries. And I said, honey, you know, the handbook says you have to dress appropriately. She said, well, I did. I bought bought this just for Bible college. She didn't know how broken she was. That she had some voice inside of her telling her that if you want to be feel wanted or pretty or valued, 
You have to have a boy snap their neck checking you out. It was like a three-hour loop. Every three hours, she needed some man to go wow. And she got that. That satisfied her desire to be needed. I met with people who are regular adulteresses and adulterers. Like, they get through it. You get them through that. You patch up their marriage. You get things back on track, and they do it again. And they do it again. But yet when you're talking to them, there's no sexual vibe at all from them. See, the reason for adultery was not for sex. It was to fulfill something else inside of them. Does that make sense to anyone? So this little girl, she got born again after she had been broken as a child. And now here she is in Bible college wanting to be a minister or a woman of God. And something in her is speaking to her to dress that way. And once we removed her ability to dress that way, she found other ways to attract the young men. We regulated her dress. She submitted to it. But then she found other ways to get their attention. Because there was a voice speaking in her. You need this or you're just worthless. People who are broken, they're not trying to be sinners. They're just broken. She did not know that her blouse was too low and her skirt was too high. And I'm picking on the girl, but please, men are equally as bad in Bible school. (laughs) But where was that voice coming from? That you're broken. You need this to be valuable. Don't you think she went in every prayer line? During Bible college, it was two services a day, sometimes three or four services a day. And everyone would pray for you. Don't you think she went into every prayer line? Gave in every offering? Begged God during every service, please take this desire from me. I don't want to be like this. I know it's wrong, but why is there a voice in me? Why do I feel that I need it just to survive, just to breathe? If I took that same little girl, and let's say, for scenario's sake, that she just had to flirt, hey, good-looking boys, and she has a, a car wreck and, and has, or has a heart attack, we'll say, just for scenario's sake. And she passes away there. And we call 911. The ambulance guy comes. Right before she passed away, she was flirting with this young guy over there and flirting with this young guy over there. One preacher said, I told my son, if you're in school and you see a girl and her eyes are looking at you and they're saying, come here, come closer. I told my son, just pick your nose and fling it at her. And that, that'll fix it. <laughs> <laughs> and so let's just say this, this young lady has a, a problem and she passes away there and we call 911 and she's a moment before she's telling the boys come here she dies the next moment she's in heaven walking around heaven is she flirting with anyone is she saying oh Michael 
You got such big arms. You're so strong. Why? Why is she not flirting, trying to attract attention in heaven? Where is that brokenness that she's in heaven? But see, she could be in heaven whole and complete because the the source of that voice of brokenness is her outward man, her outward soul, her outward emotions. But then the, the, the paramedics bring her back to life. She opens up her eyes and she sees this handsome paramedic giving her mouth to mouth. She goes, hi, what's your name? Oh, wait, the brokenness is back. What is the source of brokenness in people? The outward man, even Christians. That's why I can say your struggles, you, I, am not my struggles. I'm not broken. I'm a child of God, born of God, I am not broken, but I am left with this body that I was birthed in, in the first born, first time I was born. I was left with that old man body that was not rescued when I was born again. It will not be rescued until the trumpet sounds and I I is replaced with a righteous, holy, outward body. What a miracle that God's able to take me from a species of darkness to a species of light. And in the end, I'm complete in Him. Not one ounce, one drop of Adam will be found in me. I'll be completely His child. But until that day, I have this outward man who tells me every day what it needs to feel alive. Everyone's different. Their past, their culture, their, their family, their decisions in their life all makes everyone different. One person to feel alive, they need to be wanted by someone. Another person to feel alive, they need to be climbing off of mountains and, and jumping out of airplanes just to feel alive, racing cars. Everyone has a different voice of their outward man telling them what it needs to be alive. But if you live your life trying to fill those voids. You'll serve your outward man the rest of your life. This is where most people live. They live for the purpose of appeasing their outward man, even in church. So I am not my outward man. I am not my dreams, my desires. In verse 24 here of Ephesians 4, and that you put on the new man. So this is important. You put on the new man. So if it's not on, if it's not on, it means you have to put it on. So your born again salvation did not put on the new man. And we know here that the new man was created according to to God in true righteousness and holiness. So in understanding the new man versus the old man, the inward body versus the outward body, it will help you understand why it's so important we pray, why it's so important we fast, why it's so important we worship. 
there's a group of people, God bless them, they are the doers. That's their message, go and do. I met them right off, right off the bat when I got saved. The first, the first two letters of God are G-O, go. The last two letters of God are O and D, do. Go and do, be like God. And we launched out to go witness in all of our capability. We started ministries. We started finding ways, needs in people. Let me meet the need in Jesus' name. You don't have money, let me give you money in Jesus' name. You don't have food, let me feed you in Jesus' name. You don't have friends, I'll be your friend in Jesus' name. Then come to church. Anything we could do to gather people. And at that level, again, in me there's no criticism in anyone who lives for God in any way. I'm not competing against them. That's them doing what they're willing to do, and God's blessed with them. But if you start to try to tell people that we're the same, our message is the same, our pathway is the same, and it's not, out of protecting that person, I cannot just stand by and say, yeah, it's my buddy here. We're the same. And that's caused separation. And will cause more separation as we become more articulate and clear in what we mean when we say revival. When we say revival now, we mean that God's waiting for us. There's an opportunity is now in this life, in this generation. We don't have to wait for the next generation. It's now that God's waiting for us. But revival now to another group may mean, yeah, let's go. And God wants us to pray for everyone. And even if we don't get results, we're supposed to go pray for people. 90% or 99% the reason, the reasoning behind the act of praying for someone is more about the person praying than is about seeing the results of the prayer. Why do you think they're so quick to testify? Why do you think in most testimonies you hear, I did this, and God did that. I gave this amount of money, and God gave me it back. I heard God. I always tell, not always, sometimes. Someone, if I, God told me this, God told me that. It's like, why are you telling me that? Are you telling me that because you want me to know that God speaks to you? Are you telling that for me? How about even the I part, I did? That strength came from God too. So really you were just along for the ride. When, I, when God started to promote me in, in a way, I remember saying, God, you're seeing my faithfulness. You're rewarding my hard work, my faithfulness, my loyalty to you. And you're promoting me, exposing me to more people on television. God, thank you. Thank you. His response was, no, I'm not promoting you. You just have enough truth in you that I want that truth to go to other places. See, he was promoting his own truth in me. (laughs) I wasn't even being promoted. I was just along for the ride. It was himself he was promoting in me. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to, to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So the new man, you have to put him on. Now, some preaching would be put on the new man means I choose to identify with my inner man, my spirit, my nature, and therefore I'm complete in him. My problem with that is if you have to put him on, why is it that he came off? Today I put on the spiritual Alan. Hallelujah, it's Sunday, I'm dressed up nice, I'm sweet. You know, they make fun of the, the family, they drive to church and they're yelling at each other in the car, telling the kids to shut up, behave, talking mean to each other until they come into the building. I remember I told Harrison, I said, now son, I think it's time for you to preach. No, I'm not going to preach. Yeah, I think it's time, no. Oh, really? Well, what I'm going to do is when I get up there, because I know him, he's respectful. He's a little sassy, but he's respectful. That's how I like him, by the way. And I said, uh, I'm going to have you come up, and I'm going to give you the mic in front of everyone, and you'll have to do it, or you'll be embarrassed not to do it. He said, okay. If you ask me to <laughs> here's what he said. Oh, little punk. He's not here right now, but... <laughs> okay, Dad, you have me come up and give me the mic. I'm going to tell people... All the stuff that you don't want them to know <laughs> about me. Like, you little turkey. Like, that was a checkmate. Like, <laughs> you notice I haven't asked him to come up? Because <laughs> we all have areas we're working on. And as a preacher, you want to present your best face going forward. But that's what most people think it means to put on the new man. I'm going to give you my best spiritual face. That's why many people, they can quote the word, they do drive-by word quotes. You know, I'm sick. You're healed in Jesus' name, the blood of Jesus. Soon they drive on by, but nothing changes. But if it was the real Jesus, he would not leave you the same. I'm over in Colossians. Same wording. Verse 9. Do not lie to another. Sorry, chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man. Now look carefully here. Which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now, whenever you see the word image, that is talking about your new nature. Your new nature is the smallest part of you. See, when you hear the word spirit, it can mean, in the Greek, the word spirit can mean Holy Spirit, the new nature. But it can also mean a demonic spirit. And it could also mean uh, your inner man, your new man. The same word spirit can mean all of those four things. If you were a pizza delivery guy and I said, I'm ordering a pizza, I'll tip you twice as much as normal. Okay, where do I deliver it? To my house. Yeah, but I want that tip. Where? My house. I live in Tulsa. My house. Can you be more descriptive? What house? So then you narrow it down to neighborhood you can narrow it down to the shape of your house, the color of your house, 
those descriptions help to identify which house you're talking about. Well, that's much like the word spirit. You have to identify what spirit he means when he says spirit. In the message that Gary had us listen to from Pastor Dave, it said, he said over and over, when I pray in the unknown tongue, my spirit prays. My spirit, my spirit. And he said those prayers originate in your spiritual mind. My spirit. See, that is the new man. The new man here, look at verse 10, chapter 3. And I put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him which created him. So it is the new man that is renewed. The inner man is renewed in knowledge. And it must grow in the knowledge of God. And where does it get the blueprint of what to grow by? By the new nature. The new nature is the blueprint that tells the inner man what to do with all the the knowledge and love that comes to it. And what's the image inside that new nature? Well, it tells you. The image of him who created him, Christ. Jesus is inside of you already. The very image of Christ in all of his holiness and all of his love is already in you, but it's in seed form. It's an image. And when you pray in tongues, when you worship, that image begins to grow up inside of your inner man. And this is the important part. First uh, Peter chapter 2. Therefore, laying aside, verse 1, all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. See, where do those things come from in you? They're in your outward man, the old man. The outward part of your soul, the outward part of your mind, will, and emotions. They don't exist in your new man. The new man is only made up, is only built by things that come directly from God. Can't get it from a sermon. Can't get it from someone laying hands on you. Can't get it from giving money. Can't get it from be just, God, why don't you fix me? You have to get it by spending time with God. Verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. As newborn babes. The imagery here is that your inner man, your inner body, before you were saved, how many know when you're in hell? Not you, but some, some person's in hell for eternity. Is there torment in hell? Well, where are they feeling that torment? Do you think there's loneliness in hell? Where are they feeling that? Their outward man's here at the casket. There's a source of emotions in your inward man. Before you were born again, you had an inward man. Every child is born with an inward body and an outward body. But they're all in unity because the nature was dark. When you accepted Jesus, you received a new nature. That new nature was quickened from the old nature. I like to say he replaced it, but technically it's like Pastor Jim taught. He created something from nothing, but with material that was already there that he took my old nature of darkness and spoke light out of darkness. And my new nature was quickened from a nature of darkness to now it's new, but it came from the old. In other words, God doesn't make people, he has to find you. You had to first be born by your parents. And that new nature came to life and it 
brought to life and created by the power of God, quickened my new man, my inner man, became new, born again. My inner body, my inner source of mind, will, and emotions, my inner man is now light and righteous, as righteous as Jesus is, as righteous as my new nature is. That's my inner man. That's the new me. But the new me, all the knowledge that it had from the darkness, from birth until salvation, because it was quickened and brought to life from darkness, all the knowledge it had was erased. Now it is like a newborn baby, born with the ability to hold love of God, hold the truth of God. But it's not there yet. I have to take from the image of Christ and build up, renew. That's why it uses the word renew, rebuild, is because it used to have knowledge. Your spiritual mind used to have knowledge, but that knowledge was darkness. But as it was renewed, as it was quickened, now you have to rebuild that knowledge But now you rebuild it from the knowledge of God and it will only build the image of Christ in you already. If I'm making sense at all, say amen. Amen. So when someone says, you're born again, now just choose to walk in the new man. I just choose today to identify with my inner man. I'm okay with that. I'm not against that. But if that's all you tell them, What you just told them was you've got a big pile of dark, mean, ugly, outward man. Strong in strongholds and powerful in emotions. Now I want you just to choose to ignore him. See, you can't can't just ignore the flesh. He won't go away. (laughs) You can't ignore the outward man. You can't believe it away. I just don't believe I'm the outward man anymore. The The outward man will say, yeah, I'm not here. He'll just lay there until he's ready to get his way. You can't command the outer man to shut up. He'll keep coming back. So many Christians don't realize their source of their struggle is not them. It's the outward body that they're wearing. And see, to put on the new man, is, is the word in here, is not just to put on the new man. That I'm putting on the new man. Over the outward man. The word in is, I must renew the knowledge of the inward man first. I have to build up the inward man with the knowledge of God, the truth of God, the love of God. And from that knowledge that I put into the inward man, from the love that I put into the inner man, this love, this truth, this knowledge doesn't exist in this world. I can't transfer it. I can't take it. Hey, I'm pretty smart. I went to college. I got all the smarts. I went to religious college. I got all the smarts. Then I got born again. Can I take that knowledge over and bring it into my inner man? No. The knowledge of the inner man must only come from God. Now you can hear from a preacher if he got it from God. You can learn from a a message if they originated from God. The inner man only grows from material that comes from God. Knowledge, truth, love, That is available to you. So to put on the new man, first you must renew it in the knowledge of God. So that means you go to God, either in praying in the Holy Ghost, worship and meditating the Word. You go to God, 
And every moment you're with God, there is a passing over spirit to spirit, his knowledge, his love. Every moment you worship. That's why I'm afraid not to worship anymore. Stacy's playing and my, I start to yawn. You know, I'm like, shut up, flesh. Our men, shut up. Because I'm realizing every minute of worship, it's not just God saying, well done. Every moment of worship, I'm taking, he's taking a piece of his love and depositing it into my new man. See, it's with that renewing in the new man that I'm able now to confront the old man and say, you are no longer me. Shut up. One day you're going to be ripped off of me. Or actually, the, the proper word is it'll be quickened. It'll be switched instantly from the life will swallow up death. That's why, you know, when the rapture happens, there won't be people falling on the ground and seeing bodies laying around because their actual body will be quickened. You'll have a new outward body in eternity with no argument. Now your outward man will be in agreement with your inward man, which will be in full agreement with your new nature. And in all that, there's you. (laughs) See, you're not your new nature. You have a new nature. You're not your inner man. You have an inner man. The word soul can mean many different things also. It can mean your mind, will, and emotions. My argument today is that the soul of a person, once they're born again, is now half light, half dark, tied to both worlds until it's clipped at your death. Then the old man falls off of you. But you can build up love and joy and peace in your inner man. And with the love of God, you can mortify the outward man. You, you, he found a way to put his hand around you. You came from that breath. He put his hand around you. And while you were, when you accepted Jesus, He gave you the faith to accept Jesus, by the way. He then started to rebuild you from a species of Adam. Towards in the end, we'll all be in a new earth, a new universe, in new bodies, where everything about us will be light instead of darkness. But he found a way to protect us where he didn't have to extinguish us, but he kept us, protected us through the whole process. And now we are walking hand in hand, looking straight in the eyes of God himself and not feeling inferior, not feeling embarrassed, not trying to hide anything because we are completely righteous, as righteous as Jesus himself is. And we're standing there looking at him. That is the miracle of salvation. You, he protected while he rebuilt everything around you. Right now you're in a process where you have an outward man that still is of this world. An outward natural soul, mind, will, and emotions that still is of this world. The way we put on the new man is not by choosing. Today I choose to be good. Tomorrow I'll have a bad hair day. I'm going to choose to be mean as a snake. But to build up, renew the new man first. And from that renewing, I can reach over to the thought that tells me I need this to feel loved. I have this source of knowledge now inside of my new man that came from God that I can look at the outward man 
which came from this world and say, that's not me anymore. I'm putting you to death. I'm mortifying that part. See, that's how you put on the new man. You have to first renew it before you put him on. See you at 10 o'clock. God bless you. (laughs) 